First Thessalonians chapter 2, we'll begin reading from verse 1. Let us hear the word of God. For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you, that it was not in vain. But even after that we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as ye know, at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God which trieth our hearts. For neither at any time used we flattering words, as ye know, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness. Nor of men sought we glory, neither of you, nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because ye were dear unto us. For ye remember, brethren, our labor and travail, for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you, we preached unto you the gospel of God. Ye are witnesses, and God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we have behaved ourselves among you that believe." As ye know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, as a father doth his children, that ye would walk worthy of God, who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews. We'll end our reading there. Trust the Lord to bless this word to all of our hearts. Let us pray one last time and ask for His help. Our most loving Righteous and holy Father, we do come before Thee this final time as we have come to this uh, somber moment where the Word of God is going to be preached. And we do ask, therefore, O Lord, that You would fill us with the Holy Spirit. O Lord, we cannot, we cannot profit from this except by the Spirit's help. O Lord, we pray that you would take me and you would cause everything that is not of the Spirit of God to be held back. And we pray that you will enable me to speak forth nothing but what the Spirit of God would have be spoken. So Lord, we do ask for thy help as we all seek to hear this message aright that you will cause us to hide it in our hearts that we might not sin against thee. Oh, Lord, we pray, bless thy word to us, for we ask thee in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, the verse I want us to focus on is verse 12 of chapter 2. That ye would walk worthy of God, 
who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. And the reason I bring us there is in, in light of our recent study, I, I want to conclude, really, our time here with, with how we ought to respond in light of the things that we've seen concerning Christ as our prophet and our priest and our king. And this is a text that gives us the right response to the glorious truths of the gospel that we've considered in recent weeks. What you have here in verse 12 is the Apostle Paul recounting to the Thessalonians in this chapter his manner of preaching and behavior as well as their reception of the gospel and his and others' exhortation to walk worthy of what they had received. That's really what this is all about. He is not telling them to try and earn their salvation, but to walk in a way that displays their gratitude for salvation. And what the apostle has in view is their Christian practice, that ye would walk worthy of God, that you would live, that you would behave worthy of God. He is saying that Christian practice should be in line, in agreement with who God has revealed Himself to be and what, has, and what God has done for His people in Christ. This is a message that is very needed today. Not that it's not been needed in ages past, but today we live in a, a time where so many Christians in my generation specifically, are overcorrecting into the ditch of careless Christianity today. They have come out of places and times, seasons where there has been much about external conformity to the commandments of the Bible. And there's been an overreaction to some things that we might say we have liberty on, so that they now walk rather carelessly as Christians. And without getting into specifics, you see this very clearly in the area of music and entertainment and, and all manner of different subjects that we're not going to get into. I'm simply stating the fact that this is a message that is needed today, that our walk should be worthy in line with what we have received in Christ and what we see in the Word of God. There are two, two ditches, as it were, that people can fall into. There's the ditch of antinomianism, being anti-law. And there's the ditch of legalism, where it's all about external conformity to standards. And as one man said, if you can't see both ditches, it is because you are in one. And as others have pointed out, the answer to antinomianism is not to be more legalistic. The answer to legalism is not to be more antinomian. But the gospel, and what we're called to in the gospel, is the way in which we should go. And so, 
the Bible has a lot to say, obviously, about Christian practice. And people in my generation, we cannot just look on the errors or imbalanced emphasis of others and conclude that the way we walk does not matter. In light of verse 11, this text tells us that all Christians should desire and endeavor to walk worthy of God. What does it mean to walk worthy of God? That's what we're going to to dig into. But even as we just think about what we might think about on the surface of that statement, we very often, I think we can all readily confess, we very often do not walk worthy of God. And we might ask ourselves, how can I begin to walk worthy of God who is so great so glorious, so merciful and mighty, who has done so many magnificent and overwhelmingly beautiful things for me in Christ. How can I walk worthy of Him? And so, I want us to consider tonight striving to walk worthy of God. Striving to walk worthy of God. And the first thing I want us to see from this text is that the motive for this walk is God Himself. The motive for this walk is God Himself. That ye would walk worthy of God. And so at the very beginning we see this is a gospel motivation to walk worthy. It is motivation that arises out of who God is and what He's done for us. That ye would walk worthy of God. And so the first thing we want to see here is that God has called you to Himself. God has called you to Himself. That ye would walk worthy of God who hath called you. Gospel motivation. As we think about this, What we're being pointed to here is that Almighty God in all of His holiness and righteousness and justice and perfection has called you and me. Miserable, wretched, worthless sinners into eternal fellowship with Himself. He has given you eternal life and spared you from eternal death. God has called you to Himself. He did not only call you generally, but He called you specifically. The Gospel goes out to all manner of people. It goes out to multitudes in the world. And yet, we know that that's the general call to repentance and faith, and yet God gives an effectual call to His people that He will have to be in fellowship with Himself. And so, that's what we're being pointed to here. When we, when we read that God hath called you, it's talking about that effectual call of God. Not just the general, but the effectual call of God, which we're told about in our catechism 
that it is the work of God's Spirit, whereby convincing us of our sin and misery, enlightening our minds in the knowledge of Christ, and renewing our wills, He doth persuade and enable us to embrace Jesus Christ freely offered to us in the Gospel. That is what God has done for you. Calling you to Himself. And there was no motive in Him to do this besides His love and His mercy for you. And so, you're immediately pointed to here God who hath called you to wonder why. Why would He call me? John Calvin, quoting Augustine or Augustine, we had a conversation about the pronunciation of that name and how men go back and forth, but that's a side trail. Calvin quoting Augustine in his Institutes on John 6.44, No man can come unto me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. He quotes Augustine saying, or writing, It is strange when two persons hear the one despises, the other ascends. Let him who despises impute it to himself. Let him who ascends not arrogate it or not impute it to himself. Wherefore is it given to one and not the other? I am not ashamed to say this is one of the deep things of the cross. From some unknown depth of the judgments of God, which we cannot scrutinize, all our ability proceeds. I see that I am able, but how I am able, I see not. This far only I see, that it is of God. God has called you to Himself. You were like a lost sheep wandering in the wilderness of sin and waiting to be devoured by a wolf. And then you heard the shepherd's voice. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. When you lost and bound by your sin would not call on God, God called on you. That's the first thing we want to see here about that. This motive for this walk. That God has called you to Himself. The second thing we want to see there is that God has not only called you to Himself, but God has called you into His kingdom. He's called you into His kingdom. That ye would walk worthy of God who hath called you unto His kingdom. Unto His kingdom. In other words, the King of glory, as we were considering this morning, this King of glory has called you into His glorious kingdom. This is the King of kings and Lord of lords, and He has made you. And all that you can think of about yourself that would be motive for Him not to call you. And yet He has called you unto His kingdom and made you a citizen of His kingdom. Though you were rebelling against Him, hating Him, despising Him, 
He conquers you and makes you a citizen in His kingdom. And as we're thinking about this striving to walk worthy of God, a sign that you are a good citizen, even in our our normal realm, is that you care about how you represent your country. Isn't it? And if you are truly thankful to be a part of that country, then that will motivate you to faithfully represent your country as a good member of that society. And is it not infinitely, infinitely more for the citizen of God's kingdom to be motivated with thankfulness to walk worthy of the kingdom. Not only has God called you to Himself and to His kingdom, but God has called you into His glory. He has called you into His glory. That ye would walk worthy of God who hath called you unto His kingdom and glory. Now, glory here is in connection with the kingdom. And it has the idea of dignity in relation to His kingdom and the King Himself. He's called you into His kingdom and glory. And so, in in other words, as we think about the connection there between kingdom and glory, not only has God made you a citizen of this kingdom, but God has made you a part of the royal family of this kingdom. He has adopted us into His kingdom. As we read in Galatians 4, that Jesus Christ in the fullness of time was born of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. That's what we're being pointed to here. Called unto God, called to His kingdom, and called into His glory in relation to His kingdom. So that... In connection with this, you think about what we're told in Revelation chapter 5. We're told there in Revelation 5, verse 9, And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for Thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by Thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests. And we shall reign on the earth. And so as we, as we think about this text, called you unto Himself, to His kingdom, to His glory, as you sit here, you are royalty. Do, do, we, do we realize that? As we sit here worshiping our King, we are royalty. Royal members of the royal family of Jesus Christ. You think about the implications of being a member of a royal family. All the responsibility that comes with that. You think about even in earthly terms. You think about the royal family of Great Britain. Or being a part of the family of the U.S. president. And the members of that family affect how the entire world views that leader. And we don't want to draw the parallel too far, but the reality is 
that the world is watching us. And we are representing God in this world. That is a weighty truth. That is a sobering reality. That you and I, as members of the royal family of Christ, represent Him in the world. So God has called you to Himself, to His kingdom, to His glory, and He has commanded you. God has commanded you to walk worthy. That ye would walk worthy. This is a command from God, from this one who has called you to Himself and called you into Christ and now commands you that ye would walk worthy of God. And so, as we think about this, this is a a personal walk that each Christian has. It is something that is required of each of us. As he writes to this congregation, he writes to them all that ye would walk worthy of God. And so, as we think about that, combining all these thoughts, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the Heavenly Father, in light of all that He has done and lavished upon you in Christ, has commanded you, therefore, to walk worthy of Him. And surely then, you and I, as mere creatures of the dust, can strive to walk worthy of Him. And so, it is gospel motivation. The motive for this walk is God Himself. To to walk worthy of Him, the motive, wrong motives of that, to walk worthy is not an effort to earn your salvation. To walk worthy is not to display in any way that you are worthy of salvation. And this, I realize I'm preaching to the choir to some degree. I don't think there are many of you here who would argue with anything that I'm saying. But this is out there in so many places today. That to to say that I am to walk in a certain way, uh, to hold up a high standard of consecration in Christian living, to say those things is to put me in bondage, is, is legalism. I have ran into this over and over and over again. Everything is done for me in Christ. And that is true. But it would be wrong to conclude that we are not required to walk in a way that is worthy of that. Not to display that we're worthy of salvation. But to walk worthy is to display to the Lord your gratitude for salvation. As Christ said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So the born again response to a verse like this is, Lord, how will you have me to walk? How will you have me to live? And so, now the second thing we want to see from this text. The motive for this walk is God Himself. The mark of this walk 
is that it is worthy of God. This is where we want to dig into what that actually means here. The mark of this walk is that it is worthy of God. That ye would walk worthy of God. And that word walk, it, it has the idea of in accordance with. It, it is, in other words, it is something that can be seen. It is something that is expected to be seen. That it is in accordance with a standard. And it's very helpful to notice how Peter makes use of this word in 1 Peter 5.8 where he speaks of the devil walking about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And what we learn from that text and the use of that word there is the idea that this is an occupation. This word has the idea of being occupied with living this way. So that the devil is occupied with seeking whom he may devour. And so Paul says here that ye would walk worthy of God, that ye would be occupied with being living worthy of God. And so we can say that really what's in view here is to be occupied with living your life in accordance with the gospel as a citizen of the kingdom and a member of the royal family who has been commissioned by the king. And so, let us look at this negatively first. Because the implication of this text is there's a way to walk that is unworthy. That ye would walk worthy of God. The implication then is that you can walk in a way that is unworthy of God. You can walk in a way that is unworthy of God. In other words, it is possible for a born-again person to behave, to live in a way that is unbecoming of what they have received in Christ. That's the implication of this text. And so what does it look like What does it look like to walk worthy? What does it look like to walk unworthy of God? Not not subjectively, but practically and objectively, what does it look like? And I want us to see several things here as we think about what Paul has been saying to them. The first thing is that to ignore the importance of your walk is unworthy of God. To ignore the importance of your walk is unworthy of God. In other words, to ignore why it matters. To to simply go through life without being intentionally focused upon walking worthy of Him. That is unworthy. That is an unworthy walk. In light of what God has done for us in Christ and who God is, we cannot ignore the importance of our walk. Really, everything we looked at in verse 1, or in, in point 1, as you think about that, any other response than a, a desire to further grow and develop in my walk with God is unworthy. That's the first thing. To ignore the importance of your walk is unworthy of God. The second thing is that to ignore the need to learn how to walk is unworthy of God. To ignore the need to learn. 
Paul says that ye would walk worthy of God. And there are other things we'll look at in just a few moments from this chapter that have colored that, that have led to him saying that. It's not, there's not an ignorance about what he has in mind for them to do. But to ignore the need to learn how to walk as unworthy of God, to refuse to confess to some degree or another our ignorance of how to walk. The, the picture of walking communicates to us a lot of different imagery, but at the very least we can think about it in this way, that you were not born knowing how to walk. You had to grow in that discipline, in that exercise. And thankfully, that is the case for parents' sake, that you don't have children running out of the hospital <laughs> when they're newly born. That would be terrible, to say the least. But it's similar. It's, it's the same concept. When, when someone is, is born again, they, they begin to walk with God, but they don't have the same measure of walking worthy as someone who hopefully is older in the faith and has grown more in that. Little Obadiah doesn't walk what doesn't walk as well today as he will hopefully 10 years from now. And he doesn't walk he walks better now than he did 6 months ago. And that that's the picture that we have here as we think about walking. And so the Christian life is a life of continual learning of how to walk worthy of God. It is not as if you reach this point where you've made it and there's nothing left to learn. There's nowhere to improve upon your walk with God. And so to ignore the need to learn how to walk is unworthy of God. The third thing, To ignore biblical commands concerning your walk is unworthy of God. And again, I know some of these seem straightforward, but they need to be said. Because it's not so common today. And, And we can fall into this. You can be reading your Bible and just kind of reading through and and not stopping to consider the implications of something that you've just read for your life. We can do that. I would submit everyone in here has done that at some point or another, myself included. That as we read, we fail to stop and behold a command from God that has implications for our life. And so to ignore those biblical commands, because that's really what we're doing, is unworthy of God. And we don't want to put ourselves over we don't want to put ourselves in bondage because we cannot obey the commands of God without the grace to do so, but He supplies that grace. The last thing any of us would want to do is begin to read our Bibles just looking for a list of do's and don'ts. Do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that. So many do that very thing and become more focused on the external rather than the internal. But at the same time, to live as if God, our Heavenly Father, has not given us divinely inspired and perfectly wise do's and don'ts 
is equally to pervert Christianity and the gospel. To do that is just as bad as to focus only on do's and don'ts. In other words, obedience looks like something. And though we read our Bibles looking for Christ, looking for for pictures of, of Him performing His work of redemption, and we edify our souls in that way, we cannot lose sight of pouring over the Scriptures seeking to know what will God have me to do. You should... We're not taking the time to do this here, but a word study of the word walk that occurs in this text, just in the, in the Pauline epistles, is, is very helpful. And, and I would like to do it in, more in depth Because as we see that word walk, there's so much said in his epistles about this. In Ephesians, Colossians, and all other of the epistles. Just one of them is Ephesians 5, verse 15. Which tells us, See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. And that word circumspectly, has the idea of of diligently, carefully, according to a standard. And so as we read something like that, that calls for us to prayerfully meditate on how I'm falling short of this and what would God have me to change in light of this. So to ignore biblical commands concerning your walk is unworthy of God. The other thing is to ignore examples of how to walk is unworthy of God. That's the fourth thing here as we think about it in the negative. To ignore examples of how to walk is unworthy of God. In other words, to be refusing to learn from the major, a major source of our education along with the Word of God. You see all throughout the Word of God these commands, but you see examples of how to walk worthy of God. And, and Paul does this in Titus, that the, the older would teach the younger by example. And so these examples are all around us in the Word and all around us in our lives. We have good and we have bad examples to serve and to educate us. Paul, in this very epistle, in chapter 4, maybe just over the page for you, in chapter 4, verse 1, he says to them, Furthermore then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. You've received of us how to walk and to please God. And he says in chapter 2, verse 10, just a few verses above our text, Ye are witnesses, and God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. In other words, we were your example. And to ignore that example, to ignore examples that God has given us in our life or given us in His Word, would be unworthy 
of him. Paul, Paul gives us a good example here. What's a, what's a bad example that we could ignore? Though he was a great man of God, a bad example would be the activity of David. In 2 Samuel 11, just before, or rather, yeah, right before his sin with Bathsheba, the time when kings go forth to war, and yet David is residing back in his kingdom, in his palace, being idle, refusing to engage in the activity that he should have been involved in. In other words, the activity of the kingdom is going on, but David is idle. And because he's idle, he becomes susceptible to great sin. There's a lesson for us in that. There's a lesson for us in that, that if, if we are idle, we will tend to be more easily tempted into sin. If we refuse to engage in the work of the kingdom of God and rather choose to be idle, we're susceptible to sin. That's, the, that's what we can learn from that example. And to ignore that is unworthy of God. The final thing here is we think about this negatively. To ignore the need to progress in your walk is unworthy of God. I trust you can see that. In other words, even as we've already noted, if, if you come to a point where you're content with your walk, content with, with where you are in this walk, that's unworthy of God. In other words, no matter how long you've been on the road to glory, you should still be striving to walk worthy of Him. So we've looked at that negatively. But now, let's look at it positively. Because as much as there may be conviction in this text, there is great encouragement in this text. Because, and this is the second thing as we think about it positively, not only... You can walk in a way that is unworthy of God. But the encouraging thing is you can walk in a way that is worthy of God. And that's the point. He would, God gives this command and He gives the grace to obey it. That ye would walk worthy of God. It, it, it's not as if there's some you know, high and lofty tower. You're never going to reach this. This is a command that we're able to obey by the grace of God and the power of the Spirit. You're able to do it. You can walk in a way that is worthy of God. You are a blood-bought believer in Jesus Christ, a citizen of the kingdom of God, a member of the royal family who is indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and therefore, you are able to progressively, not perfectly, but progressively walk worthy of God. What does that, what does that mean? In other, it's, it's a life given over to God. That's, that's really the response. As God has reclaimed your life from the dunghill, as He has pulled you out of the darkness, the only response is to give your life in whatever way to serve Him. That means whatever He says is what I'm going to do, to endeavor to do by His grace. 
In other words, to walk worthy of God who hath called you into His kingdom and glory is to say I'm going to be more concerned about the kingdom of God than anything else. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. That's going to be the the, the direction of my life, the focus of my heart by the grace of God. And it is only by the grace of God. But just briefly here before we end this, this time, some practical ways that we are going to walk worthy of God, that we can walk worthy of God. We're going to go from general to specific, just a couple ways. And they're all found in this context. Paul has laid them out very clearly for us. Praise the Lord. So the first thing, very generally, to walk worthy of God is to believe and obey His Word. Very simple. (laughs) To walk worthy of God is to believe and obey His Word. But Paul takes time to highlight this in uh, verse 13 of chapter 2. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the Word of God which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the Word of men, but as it is in truth the Word of God which effectually worketh also in you that believe." Not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. In other words, you received it as an authoritative word. A word that had to be obeyed and believed. And so as we think about that, as Paul commends these believers that 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 was what they were able to do by the grace of God, you can leave here today walking worthy of God. You can begin every day in a measure walking worthy of God. By reading or hearing the Word of God and by His grace obeying what you read or heard. That is a part of walking worthy of God. As I said, very general. But more specifically, as we think about the second one here, to walk worthy of God is to continually turn from sin and serve God. To walk worthy of God is to continually turn from sin and serve God. That's what Paul highlights in chapter 1, verse 9. He says, For they themselves show show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. How ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And the implication is that that's what they were continuing in. It's not as if they turned to God, turned from from idols to God, and then went back. But no, they continually are turning from idols to serve God. They have turned, and they're not going back. This implies for us sensitivity to sin. These believers, as they... As they heard the Word of God and they believed the Gospel, they they became regenerate, they became sensitive to sin. They, They turned from their idols. And they turned in order to serve. It's not just a turning away, but a turning unto. I'm leaving these idols that I serve, and I'm going to serve the living and true God all the rest of my days. That's what they did. That's what he's highlighting there. And all of these things form the context of what we read in verse 12, that ye would walk worthy of God. And so, we ask a hard question then. What is there in my life 
that is an idol or that there's a potential for it to become an idol that will hinder my service to God? That's a hard question, but it's a question that should be asked. It's a question we probably don't ask ourselves frequently enough. What is there in my life that's hindering my service to God? And when I find it, or when the Lord reveals it to me, if He highlights it through His Word or through convicting me, there should be a willingness to separate from it, to cut it out and turn to Him. You see this in chapter 4, verse 3, what Paul says to them. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. That's just one example. But that word fornication, it's broader than just that that act. It's it's the word that has the idea of all sexual perversion, all, all worldly lust, even in that broader sense. And it's the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from this, from all worldly lust. Why? One reason, because it hinders our service. And so to walk worthy of God is to continually turn from sin and serve God. The third thing here. To walk worthy of God is to be bold for and faithful to His gospel. To walk worthy of God is to be bold for and faithful to His gospel. This He tells them in chapter 2, verse 2. But even after that we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as ye know it, Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. Verse 4, As we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God which trieth our hearts. In other words, the apostle, the apostles, Paul and those with him set before them an example of being bold, for and faithful to His gospel. In spite of the affliction that came, in spite of the contention that they had just faced at Philippi, they come to the Thessalonians and preach the gospel boldly. As we think about what we read in verse 12, called to Himself, His kingdom, His glory, this is the King's message. And we never have any right to alter the message, even though we may suffer for it. And again, we have a hard question to ask ourselves. Am I being bold for and faithful to the gospel? That's a question that we all have to ask ourselves. If if to walk worthy of God... As Paul has said, they laid out before them how to walk. And this is the examples that he's putting before them. So this is how you walk worthy of God. If that is how, then I have to ask myself, am I being bold for and faithful to His gospel? In my own specific context, yes. But still, nevertheless, bold for and faithful to the gospel. The fourth thing here. To walk worthy of God is to work hard for the kingdom. Verse 9, Paul tells them, For ye remember, brethren, our labor and travail, for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you, we preached unto you the gospel of God. 
To walk worthy of God is to work hard for the kingdom. And, and that looks different for everyone involved in the kingdom. For Paul, it, it looked like him uh, laboring in his secular work night and day. Our labor and travail for laboring night and day because we would not be chargeable unto any of you. But the principle there, the principle there is that fatigue and sacrifice are both involved in this work. He says in in verse 8 that they were affectionately desirous of them and they were willing to have imparted unto you not not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls because ye were dear unto us. So there's, there's fatigue and sacrifice involved in this work. And many of you know exactly what that is. You, you've been a part of the kingdom of God. You have given yourself sacrificially to His kingdom. And you know that it's fatiguing and it's tiring and yet it is a part of walking worthy of God. But again... It's a question we should ask ourselves. Am I working hard for the kingdom of God? Fifthly, to walk worthy of God is to follow good examples and to set a good example of how to walk. Chapter 4, verse 1, we've already read it. That as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. And he points out also in verse 14 of chapter 2, For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. In other words, they followed a good example that was set before them. And he said that he wished they would abound more and more. In other words, increase They're walking worthy in light of these examples. And as they were to follow a good example, they were then to set a good example. And so the the thing we, we take away here is that we need to learn from others that are godly men and women, that are that are godly either in our own life, through the Word of God, or through those who've come before us and their writings. We need to learn from others and we need to teach others. Being mindful that we ourselves are an example of a walk that should be worthy of God. And so we ask the question, who am I learning from and who am I teaching with my walk? The final thing, the sixth thing, to walk worthy of God is to wait by faith for the coming of your King. That's worthy. That's that's a part of a worthy walk. To be faithful in your life, an example of that to others, looking by faith, waiting for the coming of your King. That's what he told them in the end of chapter 1. Ye turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. In other words, ye repented of your sins, 
turned your life Godward in Christ to serve Him and to wait for His Son from heaven. And so it is a life given over to looking to Christ, trusting Him and serving Him. Brothers and sisters, God is worthy of a careful walk. And if God has highlighted something in your life today, as I assure you He has in mine, something that is outside of conformity to His Word and the implications of what it means to be holy and separated unto Him, then it is your obligation before God for the honor and glory of Christ to change it, not ignore it. There is always forgiveness in Christ. And by the Holy Spirit's power, we can get up from a fall and continue to walk forward and to walk worthy. The picture of walking implies a destination. That destination is glory. That ye would walk worthy of God. We are on the road to glory. Let us walk like it. Let us pray before we sing. Gracious King, Almighty God, Lord, we come to a text like this and we we just feel overwhelmed with all the different areas of our life that we need help by the Holy Spirit to change and to reform. No, Lord, we pray. Bless this word to our souls. Thank you for these ways that we've been given, even in this very chapter, of how to walk worthy of you, Father. We are not able in and of ourselves. We pray, each of us here, for the Spirit of God to be poured out upon us, that we would be enabled to walk worthy. Please hear us. Receive our thanks. Bless us now as we sing. In Jesus' name, amen.